Some people don't have a congregation except leaders all over the world. That's kind of my congregation, so I guess I am still pastoring. What I might want it, you know, before it's over, but but you know, it's such a joy to be with uh, Ziggy and Annie, and we just, uh, you know, we go so far back, and we just remember uh, so much of the good times, and not any bad times, you know, nothing, nothing bad to report about Ziggy or never heard any bad controversy or never, never, never did nothing but bless everywhere he went. And, uh, you know, I had, you know, we had a, <clears throat> a nice church, a great church, and we had in, we had some of those big, <laughs> please forgive me. Y'all are the y'all are the day crowd, so you ought to be able to take take the meat, right? So I could cut out some of the fluff. Is that all right? We had in some of the big names, you know, and they never did a swinging thing for our church. They never left anything behind. So uh, Ziggy always left something behind, a spirit of revival and positive and. So that's what we try to do, and I want to get everybody's expectation in the right place about tonight, you know, and we lay hands on people. I might surprise you when I tell you this. When I lay hands on you, you're probably not going to feel anything. <laughs> it might surprise you to hear somebody say that. But what will happen the next time you minister, it will result Go ahead, man. In, in spiritual power and it's not because of me at all it's just a point of connection for your faith that's all that's all that touch is it's not me it's just a a transference of our faith onto him and him alone that deposits and you know the lord in an instant of time can download something into your spirit he can download something into your spirit in a second that take two years for you to work out. That's how you know it's Holy Spirit. Because mentally, that process can't take place in a second. Two years of teaching in a, in a second. You can see it in a moment of time. You can see the whole thing in a moment of time. And I've had the Lord do that. Uh, Holy Ghost download is what I call it. Holy Ghost download. So we need to pray because, Lord, I, <clears throat> I never have a problem knowing what to say. I, I, that's not my problem. My problem is I have so much, I don't know what to leave out. <laughs> so I need, I need help. So y'all pray for me. Just stretch your hands. Father, right now, it's not really me, me or anything, but the things that you've done in me, the things that you've deposited in me, the things that you've worked in me, you know exactly what every person here needs. So I pray you draw it out of me. Help me to say what needs to be said. Help me to leave off what needs to be left off. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, <clears throat> a lot of people say things sometimes and there's not clarity. and There's not enough clarity in what they say. We have sayings in church. People, people say things that, that sound spiritual, 
you know, well, if it's God's will, it'll just happen. Man, that's like, uh, you know, Louisiana, we have issues with rats, swamp rats, and, you know, we have all kind of rats. And, uh, you know, rat poison can, is 90% corn and 10% poison. And it's not the 90% corn that kills the rat. It's 10% poison. So sometimes if you just get up and spout off something, you know, and, and it, it kind of leaves something hanging out there that infers something that's not accurate. If it's God's will, it'll just happen. Baloney. Yeah, that is a bunch of baloney. It sounds spiritual, you know. Uh, making me laugh. So here's another one, and, and you know, don't, don't think I'm picking on you. Or anything, but I hear this all the time. It's all about him. It's just all about him. Okay, I know that. He is the Alpha and Omega. Absolutely. Absolutely, it's all about him. But we need to we need to add something to that. Don't we? Let me let me help you with that. Okay, I know it's all about him. But he's a lot about people. Oh yes, I know it's all about him. But if we make it all about him, eventually it's going to be in a big majority about people. Now, so let me let that be my first point. My relationship with God is irrevocably tied to how I treat people. My relationship with God is irrevocably tied to how I treat people. I'll give an example. Example, Matthew 5, this is just one example. We could, I could go off on this, believe me, for days and days. But Matthew 5, verses 23, 24, Jesus said, If you bring your gift to the altar, and you remember, 23, Matthew 5, 23 and 24, and you remember that your brother has something against you. Now notice this, you're not even the one upset. I mean, if that would, to me, almost give more credence to what he's about to say, but he didn't, he didn't say it that way. He said, this, you're not even the one messed up. You're not offended. But you know somebody is offended about you. Listen to what Jesus says. Leave your gift. Man, that's powerful, isn't it? Don't give it. Why? Because you're not going to get credit. I want you to get credit for your giving. Notice that. Notice the heart of Jesus. I want you to get credit for your giving. But if you give it under that pretense. And listen, this may be a reason why a lot of people give tithes and offerings consistently and they never see a return. This could... I mean, here, here, here's a secret right here that exposes one reason why people aren't getting the harvest on their giving. Jesus said you're, you're tied up with people. Yes, sir. And you haven't done your utmost to make it right. Therefore, you will not get credit for your offering. Come on, am I in the right? Y'all said y'all were ready for meat. I don't know now. <laughs> Now some of you, I can see on your face, you're backing up. Some of you bumped reverse on me. Some of you went into neutral. You was with me, but I lost you. 
I'm telling you, you won't get credit for your giving. You know, tithing does not override adultery. Tithing does not override laziness and slothfulness and bitterness and offense. It's not a cure-all for your financial situation. It works in conjunction with other things. And Jesus is saying your, rela- your vertical relationship with God is irrevocably tied to your horizontal relationship with people. I know it's all about God, but God is a lot about people. For God so loved the world. Now, okay, you don't like to travel. I understand if you don't like to travel. I understand if you like your home and you like your little nook and you like your chair. And I understand all that. Okay, I understand that. I don't understand a Christian who does not have compassion for the world. And you say God lives inside you. Jesus said, leave your gift. Go and be reconciled to your brother. Get untied this way. Then you're free this way. But until you are untied this way, this way is hindered. Why? They are irrevocably tied together. So I had this issue in, in, in my own life. I had a false idea of spirituality. And when I, when I talk about part of my, what I'm talking about today is a certain word. Last night I talked about a curtain word. Today I want to talk about a certain word. That's when God redefines a subject in the Bible for you. He remaps your thinking about it completely. And you get a, a certain word. Because we're not, we are not going to walk with God until we hear in our minds the same definition he has in his mind when he uses a word. You're not on the same page with God as long as you've got different definitions of a word. So we have to, we have to start there. It, it, you know, my heritage is, is Cajun, French, Troquille. How many like to hear a good French joke? You want to hear a French joke? Come on, some, sometimes super spiritual people, they get nervous when you tell a joke at church. But I, 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 He said, well, all right. Next thing she hears is pow. Oh, no. Oh, no. I mean, no, clear communication is important. So I'm, so I'm going to throw out some words, and until you get on the same page with me, and I believe the Lord, in this instant, I do believe I'm right, we're not, we're not communicating. I could teach for two hours, and you still wouldn't be on the same page as me. Let me give you an example. Matthew 20, verses 20 to 28, Jesus totally redefines leadership. So every time Jesus uses the word leader, he means Servant. Now, when I get up in church and I say everybody in the body of Christ is a leader, people disagree with me. And they say, no, I'm not a leader. I don't have a position in this church. Wait a minute. What do you think I mean when I say leader? 
Jesus redefined the word in Matthew 20, verses 20 to 28. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever will be the greatest will be the servant of all. Yet it, listen, listen to what he says. Don't have time to just go scripture by scripture, but listen to what he says. Yet it shall not be so among you. Now stop and think about it. In one statement, Jesus totally redefined leadership in the kingdom of God. And this is what I know to be true. Unless a person receives revelation from the Holy Spirit, the only thing they can reproduce is what they've seen. So you have your idea of leadership. I had my charismatic idea of leadership. And what I saw modeled mostly was pastors using people to fulfill their vision. The people were there to serve the pastor. Or the people were there to serve whatever minister was standing up in front of them. And it's absolutely 100% opposite of what Jesus meant. It doesn't mean you don't have spiritual authority if you're the pastor. It doesn't mean you don't operate in spiritual authority. It's a position of the heart that you have toward the people. They do not exist to fulfill you. You exist to serve them. The purpose of your existence is to serve people. To serve God by serving people. So, you know, my mind had to get renewed to what Jesus meant. And, and when I talk about these things, and I don't want to give the impression that I just suddenly arrived. You know, God spoke to me and I changed. No, God spoke to me. I got a glimpse of light. I walked in it and then I failed. And then I got back up and I repented and I re-grabbed that revelation and I walked in it a little more and then I failed. So I, I don't want to give the impression I just up here and know all this stuff and came to all this stuff. You know, God showed Peter a vision in, in, in Acts the tenth, in Acts the ninth chapter, right? Yes, sir. The sheet. Yes, sir. Was it Acts nine or ten? Anyway, you know what I'm talking about, right? Well, by Galatians, he then took a step back. He had that revelation. God's no respect to persons. But when the Jewish people came around, he don't eat with the Gentile. He's backing up. Wait a minute. God gave you it. Now you're backing up from it. So, you know, I'm in good company. You don't arrive at these things overnight. You walk in them, then you fail, and then you walk in them, then you fail. Now, what did Jesus say? I was so surprised how the Holy Spirit will speak to a person. Pastor Ziggy got up. Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16, Jesus said two things. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. What's he talking about? He's talking to every believer, and he's saying, you are an influencer. Leadership is influence. So you can say, I'm not interested in leadership. Wait a minute. Are you saying you're not interested in your influence? Now listen, when it comes to personal taste, I don't care if you don't like my shoes. I, don't, I could care less. Zapper. A zapper is a person that drains energy from the body of Christ. A zapper. Uh, Come on, a zapper is somebody that brings life to the body of Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
our church grew and, and multiplied and, and all that. And after church, you know, I could have a lot of people get in my face and want to have an instant counseling session. And, you know, sometimes a young girl want to get me in a corner and have me pray for her. And my, my staff knew I, 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 got, I, got, I got a sapper here. I need deliverance. So I'd have, I had older women trained and deaconesses and, and my, my board members and my staff were trained, come over and, and interrupt that situation and say, Sister, we got an emergency and I need to speak to Pastor right now. And he'd take me by the arm, lead me away, and I'd have another sister come talk to this sister. Why? She's, I hate to say it, but there's some people that are eternal sappers. Yes, they are. They never get any help and they never change. And really all they want is somebody to hear them whine. Okay, well, at some point in your life, you probably wish that you had somebody to whine to and somebody that would be patient with you. So I'm not putting them down. I'm just saying I'm not going to invest hours and hours of my time with a sapper that won't change. And if if the church is going to grow... You have to deliver Pastor Ziggy from those people. You have, you have, he can't. Come on now. People in, the, people in the South tend to want a personal priest more than they want a pastor. And you can't allow Pastor Ziggy to become everybody's personal priest. That just can't happen. It didn't happen with Jesus. That's why Jesus developed a team. Yes, sir. Can you say amen? amen. Praise the Lord. Am I, is this all right? Yes. So write this down if you're a note taker. Everybody in the body of Christ is a leader. Now when I say that word leader, you can't hear me say position. You can't hear me say title. You have to hear me say servant. You have to hear me say servant because that is the definition of leader according to Jesus. I believe the confusion comes in Ephesians 4, between Ephesians 4, 7 and Ephesians 4, 11. I believe that's where a lot of the confusion comes because in Ephesians 4, verse 7, it says each of us has been given a certain measure of grace. And then you go down, but to each one of us, grace was given According to the measure of Christ's gift. The problem is with how we interpret scripture. Because just a few scriptures after that. He says to one. One person is going to be. A a, a prophet. Apostle. Prophet. Evangelist. Pastor. Teacher. So what it almost makes it sound like. Is everybody in the body of Christ. If they get spiritual enough. they're, They're going to end up being one of those things. No. That's just a part of each one of us. This is a very small, selected group. And I want to say this, not any more special than you are. Verse 7 in Ephesians 4 is connected to the end of that chapter where it talks about each member supplies something to the body of Christ. Each member has a measure of grace to bring and supply. Now, listen, there's a big push today in the church world where people claim to be spiritual apart from the body of Christ. 
And that is a false teaching. I was going down the road a few years ago and, and uh, flipping channels, trying to find something decent to listen to. And I heard this guy singing, me and Jesus got our own thing going. Me and Jesus got our own. So I started to listen to the words. Well, he likes to drink. And he likes to run around with women. But Jesus is a full-time minister with a full-time ministry. Now, this is where we got to get to. We have to get to this, and we have to understand this. Every believer is a full-time minister. Every believer has a full-time ministry. You say, well, what is it? If you're a note-taker, it is the believer's ministry. I've written a book on it. <laughs> and it's so simple. Listen. The book came out of a, a conversation that I had with a man when I first took over the church. I had a man come in, come in my office. He, he had that me and Jesus have our own thing going. So he never was faithful to church. He never was connected in the church. He just came every now and then to make sure I was still doing right. Make sure I still passed his, his, his verdict of what he thought spiritual was. And uh, so he came to see me. Great guy, I love him. Even to this day, I love him. But he cried. He started crying. And, and uh, you know, I said, brother, what's on? He said, listen, I, I just got something in my heart that I know God wants me to do. But I just can't seem to get to it. I can't seem to locate it. I know it's there. I, I sense it's there. And, and I'm looking at him thinking, I wish you would just if you would just come to church, I could teach you what it is. But I can't get you still long enough to, to help you. Now, what he didn't realize is I have a, in some regards, I have a very accurate memory about things. I can't remember where my keys are or my money or my wallet. But I can remember conversations that I have with people. You know what happened 10 years later? Ten years later, the same guy came to my office, and he broke down and cried again. And he rehearsed the same conversation that we had ten years before. He rehearsed it word for word and cried. Pastor, I, there's something inside, and I just know I... And I'm just sitting there thinking, bless your heart, I'll see you in another ten years. If I'm here, I'll see you in another ten years, because you're not getting any closer to it. Now, if the Lord has something extra for you, yee-haw, good for you. But if he doesn't, let me give you the believer's ministry. Here it is. Number one, evangelism. Yes, sir. Come on. Every believer is called to win people to Christ. And you know, there's people that just say, you know, that's not my ministry. There is no ministry of evangelism. There is a lifestyle of evangelism that's in obedience to the word. But you don't have the ministry of evangelism. You have a lifestyle. Can you say amen? amen. 
Or if you want to, if you want to go ahead and say that ministry, if it is a ministry, what is ministry? It's a servanthood. It's an act of service to every person you meet. I am willing to be a bridge from death to life with every person I meet. I am ready. I'm ready. Some preachers get so holy they don't they don't even talk to anybody about the Lord anymore. They get too holy. Number two is restoration. That is the restoring of fallen believers. It's my, it's my job to restore them, not to kill them. <laughs> we don't kill them. We kill our, we kill our wounded. <laughs> Just go shoot them in the head. No. Why, why don't we love them back to Christ? Got a, got, I've got lists and lists of scriptures for each one of these, but it's not important. Number three, prayer. You say, well, that's not my ministry. There is no ministry of prayer. There's just prayer. You do it or you don't do it. There's no specially anointed. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. I pastored 22 years. Every group of people I ever met who thought they were specially anointed to pray always got a word of knowledge that I wasn't uh, the pastor anymore. God always showed them I wasn't spiritual and I wasn't the pastor and I needed to leave. It's amazing. All these specially anointed people always end up in spiritual pride. The music department ends up in the flesh and the inner receiver. I, I don't mean you go hunt them. I mean when you find them, you cast them out. Can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. After that, no, what am I on? Number six is special five, is special grace. Every believer has a measure of special grace. This is where some people are specifically anointed to do certain things. There are people I don't want ministering to my grandchildren because they have no patience. They have no anointing. I don't want them talking to my grandchildren. They don't have that grace for that little one. There are some people who have no patience with older people. I don't want them in elder, uh, elder meeting. Amen. There are some people, they, their faces look like they've been sucking on a lemon for 10 years. I don't want them greeting at the door. They're not anointed. There are some people, I listen, please don't get offended at me. There's some people, I stand behind, beside them when we're worshiping. We, we don't want them to have a microphone. We don't want them to lead in worship. Praise the Lord. I know this is going to be, like I say, you're the day crowd. So right, right, if you're a note taker, write this down. Entrance into the kingdom of God is unconditional. Entrance into the kingdom of God is unconditional. You don't have to bring a single thing. You're the worst sinner in the world. First of all, you ain't got nothing to offer anyway. So you can't get saved based on anything that you do or are or anything you've done. You'll never be good enough ever, ever, ever. It's based on the unconditional love of God. Entrance into the kingdom is unconditional. Get ready for it. Service is not. Service is not. What do you mean by that? You need to qualify. In the book of Acts, you had to be full of faith, full of the Holy Ghost, and have a reputation just to serve soup to a widow. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. 
So my journey in leadership began with my failure. Uh, at the time that I'm going to share this story, I had been, I was in my 13th country that I'd been in, and my 13th country happened to be France, and now I'm up to 33, 33 nations, but, but this is way back. I was on my 13th nation, it was France, and it was my least favorite nation, even to this day. France was my least favorite country to visit. The French cannot seem to cough up a merci beaucoup. You talking about the pot calling the kettle black? They they call us arrogant, arrogant Americans. I'm thinking, have you looked in the mirror lately? We had a French ambassador come over to one of our Senate meetings. She got crossways with one of our senators. She started screaming at him, screaming at him. Lost her mind in the in the. She came as a guest and she got up and just lost her mind on our Senate. She's screaming, and the guy just kept hollering at her, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. And finally, she stopped and said, what? And he said, do you speak German? She said, no. He goes, you're welcome. <laughs> that is funny. I don't care what you say. That's funny. <laughs> We're the reason you ain't speaking German, so you need to cough up a mercy beaucoup if you can. So I'm at the Champs-Élysées looking up at a high hill, looking at thousands of French people. And honestly, I just didn't like Paris. Because at the time, when I went in the, in the 90s, there was, uh, they had open uh, porn uh, racks on the streets. And their front cover of their porn magazines showed the sex act on the cover set up. So the Lord asked me and said, what do you think the number one problem in the world is? I said, that's easy. It's, it's Satan. He said, no. I defeated Satan. Satan's under your feet, in fact. I stripped him. I've got the keys. What are you talking about? I said, well, then it, it's sin. He said, no. I dealt with sin. What did John, he asked me, what did John the Baptist say? Behold the Lamb of God that does what? Takes away, either he did or he didn't. So sin's not the issue. I said, so finally, you got to humble yourself and get the right question. Find that out about God. If you don't ask the right question, he's not obligated to talk to you. And sometimes he won't until you come up with the right question. So I said, Lord, how do you see people? And this is what he showed me, turn Matthew 9. This is a certain word. On a certain subject that changed my life. It really changed my life forever. Matthew chapter 9. And when Jesus saw the multitude. Verse 36. But when Jesus saw the multitude. He was moved with compassion for them. Because they were weary and scattered. Watch it. Like sheep having no shepherd. So according to Jesus, when he looks at what I consider the demonic sinful masses, instead of being disgusted by them, he is moved with compassion for them. 
And what does he say their number one problem is? It's not sin and it's not Satan. It's a lack of leadership. In other words, God believes that the majority of people would follow if they just had a decent leader. Now that changed my life. You see, I took over a church that was struggling. I took over a weak, divided church that was people were upset with each other and they were upset with other churches and morale was low and the offerings were low and, and I was young and I was stupid and, and the pastor before me said, if anything gets done in this church, you'll have to do it. Nobody is going to help you. You need to know that. So I'm here, I'm a young guy and I'm trying to do, get stuff done and I, I had a little vision for a little outreach and I got my staff together and I made a big mistake because I sowed the vision to the staff, but I didn't sow the vision to the leaders of the church. And I didn't sow the vision to the people. I just sowed it to the staff. They got all excited and I said, now this is what we're going to do and we need workers, so y'all go out and find workers. You're trying to cast, you're trying to haul in a net. You're trying to haul in a load of fish and you got holes in your net as big as the boat. Because you hadn't cast the vision correctly. So I call them back together in, in a couple of weeks. And they're all supposed to report who did they get to sign up to do our outreach. And nobody got anybody. And we're all gloomy and sad. And, and we're all pouting. And we're all talking about excuses. And here's the thing about defeat in your life. If you, if you want an excuse, the devil will provide you with one. If you want an excuse for why you're failing in life. The devil will give you one. Well, my mother was paranoid schizophrenic. My daddy was an alcoholic. My mama tried to kill. Oh, it goes on and on and on. Listen to me. Nothing that people have ever done to me is greater than what Jesus has done for me. You got to settle on that at some point in your life. And get rid of your wine. So here we are. We're having a whining staff meeting. All we need is some cheese because we, we got the wine. So suddenly the Holy Spirit fell in, our, in my little office, little country church in Magnolia. Holy Spirit fell, and, and my, my dog grooming secretary looked at me and said, Oh, pastor, the Holy Spirit just fell. I said, I know it. She goes, was he here? I said, I don't know. Let's get on our knees and pray. Got on our knees and pray. Holy Spirit came up behind me on my left side and spoke in my left ear. Say, how do you know? I have no idea, but I know it was the Holy Spirit. Amen. You know what he said to me? Never again blame the people. If people aren't following, you need to look to your leadership first. I'm not saying it's always the leader's fault. I'm saying that's where you look first. So if your family or your business or your class that you're teaching or the people you're trying to influence aren't following you, don't blame them. Don't blame God. Don't blame the devil. Don't blame the environment. Don't blame anything. Look at your own leadership ability. That means you're serving. How are you serving people? Come on, y'all. How are you serving people? So let me take you to another certain word. Let's get to this, and then, then I won't, there's no way I can unpack all of this, but let's look at this in Acts 26, because I had issues with people. 
I thought that the problem was the people weren't following me. And I didn't realize it was because of my leadership. They had good... You're welcome at any time. We love you so much. But listen, we hate Debbie. Don't you dare bring Debbie in this church. We can't stand her. Do you think that you and I are going to be friends? Are you absolutely out of your mind? So people are taking shots at the church all the time. The church is this, the church is that. Let me tell you something about the church. When all the other institutions floating on the water at the bottom of the sea, this boat's still going to be floating. So it's like having an ugly sister. You know, if you're a brother and you got an ugly sister, deep in your heart of hearts, you can know she's ugly, but nobody else better say it. That's still my sister. I can call her ugly, but you can't. Listen, I, lo- I, lo- I love everybody. But if you come up and slap my wife on the behind, I'm going to knock you out. And when you come to, I'm going to say, I am so sorry that I did that. But if you do that again, I'm probably going to do that again. You have touched me when you touch her. That's not my message, but it'll preach. Look at what he says. Who are you? I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Thought I was persecuting the church. No, you're persecuting me. But rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. Here's the word. Here's the certain word. Change my life. Change my whole ministry. I will deliver you from the Jewish people, as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. Wow. Totally changed my life. So, listen. According to Jesus, you're not fit to be sent to people until you get delivered from them. Now, what do you mean delivered from them? I'm not talking about isolated from them. Those first couple of years in ministry, I got betrayed on a huge level by two men in the church. And I was hurt. I I couldn't have hurt worse than if you had beat me. And I got so upset and so offended at that betrayal, I went to the Lord and I said to the Lord, I want to know if this is what it is. Is this ministry? Because I'm telling you, I didn't, I, didn't, I, 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 I'm going to tell you, which is a stupid thing to say. I'm going to tell you, I didn't sign up for this. And I didn't get the words out of my mouth before I heard the Lord say, absolutely, this is what ministry is. Absolutely. And this is what he said to me. I will never keep you from short-term pain in relationships. Short-term pain means that you were invested. And, and that's, a, that's, a sign, that's a good thing. You hurt over this betrayal. That's good. Because that shows you were invested. If you weren't invested, it wouldn't matter. And I will not keep you from that type of pain. And see, that's what people want to run from in church. I don't want to get connected because I got connected before and I got hurt. Well, you sissy. 
Don't you understand the people business? My senior year, I got my lifeguard license. You know what I had to do to get a lifeguard license? I had to swim one mile in, in Lake Erland without touching my feet to the ground. And after I swam exactly a mile, I had to go out and tread water. And then Bill Tanner, who was about five foot nine, 100, no, five foot nine, 230 pounds, swam out in the deep and turned around and looked at me and said, Help me, Paul. I'm drowning. And I knew what was going to be God's all about people. And I'm talking about reaching the, the, the worst. I had to really work on my heart. You, you have to understand. I, have to really work, I had to really work on my heart. Oh, I love the anointing. And I know preachers today that love the anointing. They just don't like people. And they don't understand that the anointing upon you is not for you. You cannot live by the anointing upon you. The anointing, Jesus said, Luke 4, the anointing, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me. Go down the list. What's the list? Heal the brokenhearted. Set at liberty them that are bruised. You go all the way down the list. Is there anything in the list that says that anointing is to exalt my ministry? Everything in that list is to help people. So here's the kicker that I learned. You live by two anointings. You Actually, you live by one anointing. You have two anointings. The anointing upon you and the anointing within you. What people mess up in church is they try to live off of the anointing on them. And that's where you get burned out as a, as a church worker. Because you have not maintained the anointing within you. David said, you anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Ministry to people should happen out of the overflow of your cup. It's when your cup gets half empty and you're having to reach down in it to pull out ministry that ministry becomes too much work. That's where you, head, that's where you get burned out. God, keep me so I'll never experience ministry burnout. Why? I keep my cup filled in my own secret place with God. Jesus said, listen, I don't have time. I, I wish I, listen, Jesus said, the Father, listen, who is in the secret place. He just told us. He told us right where God was and where we could find him. You don't find him up here behind the pulpit. That's the problem in church. We have made speaking behind a pulpit the most spiritual thing anybody can do in church. And let me tell you, listen to me very carefully. God can speak through a donkey. It doesn't make the donkey spiritual. The anointing upon you is not where you get your identity. In him we live. In Him we move. In Him we have our being. My identity is in my secret place with the Father. That's who I discover who I am. Not the anointing upon me when I go to minister. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So I had some issues. What does it mean to be delivered from people? Deliverance from people doesn't mean isolation from them. Deliverance from people does not mean isolation from them. 
It doesn't mean to self-protect. I, now, I, to a degree, you have to operate in, in, certain, in certain situations. You have to operate in wisdom. Someone comes to your church that's been a former child abuser. You don't let them keep the nursery. So we, in that area, you do protect the body. But I'm talking about on a day-to-day, you related to people. What we have in church is people who come and sit and they aren't connected. And they aren't connected because they're scared to death of getting hurt the same way they got hurt last time. And that's what we got to get over. Short-term pain is a positive thing. God told me I will not keep you from short-term pain in relationships. I will keep you from long-term effects. Nobody will ever be able to break your heart permanently. Every time they break your heart, you bring it to me and I'll put it back together and I will empower you to love again. People misinterpret the scripture, love never fails. Listen to me. They, they misinterpret that scripture. Love never fails. You love them, it'll work out. Listen, I know a, I had a woman in my church. She loved, uh, she loved her husband with the love of God. And I just put, put it to you plain, he was a T-U-R-D. And you know what happened? Their whole marriage, he was a T-U-R-D. She loved him to the very end, and she buried him. At least that person 70 times in one day and restore your fellowship with them. And you still walk with them. Come on, y'all. That's supernatural power. That's what keeps, love keeps people on the hook until the Holy Spirit can sanctify their life. Oh, hallelujah. Delivered from people, what does it mean? It means not making people your source. You don't look to people to make you happy. You don't look to people to, to, for your acceptance. You don't look to people for your self-worth. You don't look to people for your peace. You don't look to people for your provision. I was born in a, in a poverty m- mentality. And I have to tell you, as a, as a young pastor, our church, we, it, was, it was Sunday to Sunday whether we were going to be able to turn the lights on or not. It was Sunday to Sunday whether I was going to get paid or not. And I have to tell you, in the beginning, I was bound by people. Because when that offering plate was passed, as holy as I wanted to be, I had to peek. I'm up there taking the offering, and I'm going, well, Lord, we thank you for today. I'm I'm looking at that offering thinking, dear God, you know, is brother so-and-so going to give today? You're you're bound. So how how do you know if you're bound by, by people? When you get disappointed when they don't do what you thought they were supposed to do. When you get offended and disappointed, so disappointed in them that you don't want to relate to them anymore, you got your eyes on people and not on Jesus. I had to learn as a pastor, my harvest in life did not deter, was not determined by what people put in the offering. My harvest in life was determined by what I gave to God, not what people gave to me. I know that sounds simple, but it set me completely free. I had an issue. I had an issue against rich people. I despised rich people. Because when I grew up, I grew up in a church that was divided between rich and poor. And we were on the poor side. And the rich people sat at the front and literally mocked us out loud. We sat in the back. And I remember eight, nine years old, 
looking at rich people in our church, and I put a big X over their face. I, I despise you. And I carried that into the ministry. God started bringing to people to the church that had some money, and I treated them rude. I wanted them to know, you're not going to buy me. You're not going to run me. And I went the other way. I, I didn't treat them in love. And the Lord had to say, look, you're bound by prejudice against rich people. I love the poor. I catered to the poor. But I wasn't loving the rich the way I was supposed to. And listen, prejudice is wrong. It don't matter which white, black, black, white. It don't matter which way it shoots. Rich, poor, whatever you want. Redhead, I don't know what, what your hang up is. It's not right. Any direction it goes, it's not right. We got to be, the love of God's able to love people. I mean, God can love people you can't love. But if you'll let him, if you'll let him, come on now. I grew up with certain prejudice. I, I could not stand to be around any man that acted feminine. In, in our town, we beat the soup out of them. We thought we could beat it out of them. And we just take them out back and just beat the snot out of them. And lo and behold, I go to Tanzania, and, and my interpreter for 21 years is a little bit feminine. He's a man of God. He's not gay in any way, shape, or form, but he just, he lacks that real masculine edge. And God was like, okay, I'll, I'll help you. This guy's going to be in your life for, for the rest of your life. Fix your wagon. And you know, I love him. We're like brothers. I love him to this day with a Holy Ghost supernatural love. We love each other, but he's just not, he's just not my cup of tea. And listen to me, people, when they come to church, they, they, they know within five minutes whether or not they're accepted or not. They know with it before they ever, they don't get to vote on Ziggy, they're voting on you. Hallelujah. Is this okay? Some people got to get delivered from people. We know about being delivered from Satan, and we know about being delivered from sin. But we don't know about being delivered from people. You get delivered from people. When you know how much God loves you, you're not concerned about how people can hurt you. When you know God, when you know the love of God, and you're secure in who you are in your relationship with God, you quit worrying about people hurting you. You know it's going to happen. You don't, I, don't walk with, I don't walk with expectancy now. I'm expecting it to happen. It's not I'm living in expectancy, but I live kind of, uh, uh, I'm aware. Come You're full of yourself. But I've chosen you. I've called you. And you, when you've returned, because you're going to return, I still, I want you to know your colossal failure has not disqualified you. You're a key player in the church. That's the, listen, that's the Jesus touch. That's the Jesus touch. What's it really like to be like him? He's the man of perfect balance. He tells a woman caught in adultery, I don't condemn you, but you need to quit sinning. 
That's perfect balance. He didn't say her sin was not sin. But he didn't condemn her. That's the perfect balance. And we have people in church, they tend to lean to either mercy or truth. Wonder how I know this. Because I'm all about truth. Truth to me is easy. It's, It's black and white. Not anything racial in that statement. It's just that way. My wife's all about mercy. She, I mean, Debbie, you could go to war, get your legs and your arms chopped off, come back from war, Debbie meet you at the airport. She'd go, well, at least you can still talk. <laughs> She's like, she, she sees the silver lining in every situation. She, she sees the good in every person, you know. This guy's a killer, and he's getting, you know, he's getting, uh, you know, he's getting the capital punishment. He's getting put to death. And Debbie's going to cry all day because, you know, bless his heart, no, no telling how he was raised and why he turned out the way. I'm like, give me the needle. I'll ask him if he knows Jesus, and then I'll inject him and go eat a Whopper. Yeah. But here's the thing. It, Truth is not on a scale. It's held more like a rubber band. It's held in tension. And it's about the proper tension between truth and mercy. Between righteousness and holiness and grace and mercy. It's held in the right level of, t- of tension. And so the Lord's, had to, the Lord's had to help me to be, I don't know how many times I came home and I, and I told Debbie, I'm fi- I tell you what, I'm fixing to, I'm fixing to deal with this and She'd say something like, do you, do you remember just one week ago this guy put his daddy in the grave? He's going through something right now. You might need to let up on him. And I'd, I'd see a completely different side of dealing with people and how to deal with people. And listen, all I can tell you is this. If a church will make a dedicated effort to say, we're going to love people the way Jesus loved people. Then you're going to be a powerful church. Oh, yeah. This is what happened at Magnolia Christian Center. Listen to me. I'll close with this. This is what happened. I'm praying my guts out for revival. I mean, I'm talking about serious prayer, serious prayer time. The church starts filling up with weird people. Yeah, there you go. I'm talking about, you know, this, this, is in the, this is in the 90s, you know, when multiple tattoos and multiple marriage and, oh, my God, Southern Arkansas interracial marriages, extra thing. In the kingdom of God, if you fail, God's got plenty of time. He just lets you take the test over and over and over. Go ahead, now. He ain't going anywhere. I promise you he'll outlast you. Oh, yeah. You know what I did? Changed my heart. Changed everything. And it took, it took a lot of work. It took a lot of prayer to dig stuff out of my heart that wasn't right. And I'm still growing. I'm still learning. Can you say amen? Amen. Let's stand up. Praise the Lord. I hope this helped somebody.
Hallelujah. I don't know if anybody here might have a slight, ever so slight, callous on your heart due to pain in your life. I had put my, gathered my six, two and a half Cajun father, took him to the door and was going to take him to rehab. And when I got him to the door, he had been drinking straight vodka for I don't know how many days. And he lost his legs and lost his mind. We're standing at the door. And I said, Daddy, can you make it to the car? He goes, I can try. And that dude collapsed right there. He went straight down. I grabbed him. I, before he hit the ground, I grabbed him. And, you know, it's hard to carry a six, two and a half, 190-pound man to a car, you know, put him in the car. Took him to rehab, and he was there 40 days. Man, I was so happy. I was so happy. He got his legs back, got his mind back. We were about to, I was back to, about to head back to Tanzania. The orderlies came out to take Dad back to his room. He was clear-headed as he could be, but the way he was talking wasn't right. When we stood up, the Holy Spirit came on me and said, this last time you'll see your father alive. My Lord of mercy, a wave of grief hit me right solid in my chest. And as soon as that happened, the Holy Spirit came stronger than that grief. He put his arms around me. You know what he said? You have no responsibility here just between he and I. He's being judged. This is 1 Corinthians 11. He's a believer, but he won't put down alcohol. And I've covered him for 70-something years. Not one accident in 70-something years of driving. I mean, all those years of driving drunk. I don't know how many. Never, never, never as much bumped into a rail or another car. Never hurt another person. Come on, y'all know that's the mercy of God. Oh, yeah. But there's a time, you keep it up, you're going to remove yourself from the mercy of God. Oh, man. I had to go back to Tanzania. I got, went back to Tanzania and got up and taught my first session, got home, and there was an email from my brother, get on a plane, come back. We just found him dead. He got out and went on a four-day drunk. They said he couldn't even tell you his name. Drank straight vodka till his heart seized up. That's how he died. Well, only the Holy Spirit could do something about that. But I can tell you this. He can. Come on, y'all. I'm telling you, you, you can remember it and you can know that it was bad, but it's daddy that beat them and abused them. Yeah, I had an alcoholic daddy. and Yeah, he killed himself. But you know what? He loved me. You got to hang on to what you can hang on. And if you can't get it from your father, that's okay. There is a father in heaven. And I promise you, he can fill every hole that your father didn't fill. He can fill it. And he can make you whole. Can you lift your hands? Say, Lord, I just thank you that you deliver us from people. Where people may have a callus on their heart over some kind of pain that they've been through. We just choose today that we're not going to walk in pain 
And we're not going to walk in excuses. And we're not going to do the blame game. We are going to live like redemption is more powerful than what people can do. What Jesus did for me is greater than what people have done to me. Come on, how many of us praise the Lord and say that? I'm, I'm embracing that today. I'm embracing that right now. I'm embracing it right now. I'm letting go of every callous, every, every pain. And I'm claiming today that Jesus Christ makes me whole. A complete, well-rounded, stable, solid, able to love, able to engage, able to connect, able to minister, able to love. Hallelujah. What he did for me is greater. What God did in Christ is greater than what Satan did in Adam. What God did in Christ is greater than what Satan did in Adam. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Much more. Everybody say much more. Much more, much more, much more, much more, much more. So, I can't tell you now, traveling all these nations, I can't, I don't even want to, it's just not important. But I could, if I, if I, if I sat down, I could start recounting how many, how many times I've been burned by leaders. You know what I do? I just forget about it. Everywhere I go, I just pour. I just pour. Say, so you're going to get burned again? Yeah, Probably. Is it going to hurt? Yeah. How long? Not forever. That's all I know. But you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go back in with 100% love. Can you say amen? amen? Turn to your neighbor and say, would you please try to believe the best in me? Turn to your neighbor and say that. Would you please try to believe the best? Come on, tell them. I'll try. Tell them. I'll try. I'm going to try to believe the best. Pastor, would you come? <laughs> Praise God. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Glory. How many of you appreciate the man of God? Amen. Thank God. Thank God. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, I've never, I've never heard Brother Trokel talk about these things. Uh, but it kind of, kind of, if you're a part of Winter's Church, it, it, it's like we know now why we have a connection with him. Amen. Praise God. Some of y'all didn't think people believed the way I believe, did you? <laughs> Amen. Some of y'all, y'all, Pastor Zig, we never hear this stuff from nobody else. Amen. Thank God. Thank God. You know, there's, there's one thing that is... Uh, that has served me well in, in ministry and uh, one one uh, the Lord the Lord showed me this early on and he he told me he said uh, <clears throat> we Annie and I we y'all and y'all have heard this but we people never told us people never encouraged us I mean Annie was going to get pregnant he said I already gave my life for them they don't need for you to give your life for them. He said, you give me your life, and you give them the gift that I put in you. 
He said, and everything will be all right. And so I began to give my life to the Lord, and I began to give my gift to people. You know, that's how we need to live. Uh, that's how people get messed up. They go to giving their life to their pastors and to their churches, and they don't give their life to the Lord. You need to give your gift where God intends for you to serve and, and put your gift, and you need to give your life to the Lord. Amen. And that's, and that's what we've, you know, that's what we've tried to establish here in the hearts of people that are part of this church. We give our life to Jesus. We give our life to God. And we give the gifts that he put in us to one another. Amen. Do you know how fulfilling that is? <laughs> because then you don't feel ripped off when someone doesn't reciprocate. Amen. Amen. Can I tell you one other thing that just stirred in my heart here today? You know, a lot of times we're, we're trying to accomplish the thing that the Lord told us to accomplish. And we, and we face uh, we face adversity and difficult. Of course, we face adversity and difficulty doing. It. It's hard enough. It's hard enough to do the, you know, to do the will of God because uh, you're going to face adversity doing the will of God. Then when we try to do stuff that's outside of His will, boy, I'm telling you right now, it's it's, it's almost impossible. But there's another thing, and this is another thing that I think if you'll hear this and 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 uh, and just tuck it away, it'll help you. And that's this that. Um, Culture is, culture is just a fancy word for environment. And culture trumps vision. See, some of you think that you're not fulfilling God's purpose and the vision that God's given you for your life uh, because uh, um, somehow, somehow or another, maybe you hadn't figured out the vision or somehow or another the vision is, is, is difficult or it's hard. Listen, if God said it, if God showed it, he'll do it. What we don't understand is that Trump, that that uh, what trumps what trumps vision. Sometimes as leaders, we try to cast vision into a culture that hasn't been cultivated, into an environment that hasn't been uh, that hasn't been cultivated to receive the vision. It's it's the principle of environment. It's the principle of environment. The principle of environment is this: God, God, God never created anything without first creating an environment that would sustain it. Before he created fish, he created water. Before he created man, he created the earth and, and air. Before he created birds, he created the sky in, a, in an environment that would sustain them. It's the principle of environment. So prior, prior to God creating something, he first created a, a culture, an environment that would sustain it. You know, the, the, uh, the environment of our minds and of our lives is hostile, uh, just in, naturally, is hostile against what God is saying to us and what God wants to do. And so we've got, we, as God's people, have to work together with God to cultivate an environment and to create a culture that will sustain what God told us. You know what, you know what I heard preachers say to me when we went to start a church? Uh, I said, I said, we're starting a church. They, they said, you are? So you're going to leave the ministry. You're going to leave traveling ministry. I said, no, we're going to do that too. Here's what they'd say. You can't do that. And I would say, no, you can't do that. I'll do it just fine. You can't do it. But just because you can't doesn't mean that I can't. See, because there's a different environment, a different culture, a different, you know, there are lots of different cultures, lots of different environments. There's a different, how many of you know there's a different culture at McDonald's than there is at uh, a Mahogany Prime Steakhouse? Neither one of those cultures are wrong. They're just different. 
It just depends on what you're looking to accomplish. Amen. Amen. And so if we'll work together with God to create the environment and the culture that will sustain the vision that God has given us, then nothing will keep the vision from coming to pass. When we release that vision, in our fa- whether it's our family, our business, are y'all hearing me? Our church. Amen. Amen. Those are the two things that have served me the best in ministry in my whole life. And I thank God he's doing. You know, I'm, I wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed. I'm so glad that the Lord would talk to me. Because, boy, I needed it. Amen. We need it, don't we? Praise God. Well, glory to God. What a, what a wonderful, wonderful time we've had here this morning. Amen. Thank God. Thank God. Some of you aren't going to feel a thing when Brother Trochel lays hands on you. Some of you are going to get knocked on your butt. Some of you are going to need a designated driver to get home tonight. Amen. But you know what? Whether you feel something or not, isn't, the indi- isn't, a, isn't a, an indicator of whether or not you received something. Amen. Too many times we leave a service, and if we didn't feel something, we feel like that somehow or another we missed out on something. Yes, sir. Uh, I was in a meeting with Dr. Lester Sumrall, and the reason I said that is because that's what he said to me. I was in my 20s, and he looked right at me and said, I'm going to lay hands on you. And he said, you're probably not going to feel a thing. He said, but it will result in spiritual power and Christian service. He laid hands on me at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. That night, I was under a tent with 103 teenagers, and I prophesied to every one of them. It had never happened before. And it never happened since. That's awesome. That's awesome. I had a I had a similar experience with R. W. Shambach. I was I was I, man. I was listen. I was like I was gonna get something, you know, because I had followed his ministry, and I'm like I'm about to take part of this man's ministry, whether he gives it or not. I'm taking it. And I was there. It was a it was a I think it was a New Year's Eve service. We took our youth group, and we were all there. And he had a prayer line, and he had prayed for the sick. And I didn't want to interrupt that, so I waited till the line dwindled down. And it was, it was here, in, it was Crossroads, at Crossroads Church, South Oklahoma City. And Dan Schaefer was the pastor then. He's long, skinny, gangly guy, and a powerful ministry himself. But I went forward when he barely had anybody up there. And Shambach was taller than what I thought. He was, we were about the same height. And, and uh, he's, he, he, you know, I'm just going through the line. He's going through the process. And uh, I can tell he's a little bit tired, but he, he's like, all right, put your hands up. And I, I, I said, before, I, before you pray for me, I said, I just want to say, I want to ask you this. I said, uh, when you pray for me, I said, I just came, I want you to know, I came here to take a part of your ministry. So when you lay hands on me, there's going to be something that's deposit. I'm taking something today. And he looked at me like, oh, how cute, you know. And so he's like, all right, put your hands up. And, and I was like, I said, wait a minute. I said, I just want to make sure that you understand this. I'm not playing. I'm taking a part of your ministry today, whether you like it or not. I said, because you ain't taking it with you. It ain't, it ain't really for you. It's for us. It's for the body. And, and, and so I'm taking a portion because you can't, you can't continue. to. I said, I'm taking it in the name of Jesus. I'm, I'm, I, know, I know the Lord intends to do this for me. Well, he got serious. And he looked at me. He looked at me. He looked at them fellows around him. He's, 
He grabbed my hands. He says, throw your hands up. I was like, oh, here, now he's serious. Amen. He took three steps back, boy, and he, he took that big old 12 and a half hand. <laughs> That's what he always said. And instead of just laying hands on me, he took a run at me. And he says, in Jesus, they whack, boy, he whacked me in the head. I didn't, listen, I didn't, I didn't see stars. I saw birds. <laughs> he hit me so hard. I, I, I remember coming to, and I, I, I felt someone grab me, you know. It wasn't the power of God. He hit me. <laughs> it wasn't the power of God. And the next thing I remember, I'm, I look over and Dan Schaefer, and Dan Schaefer was funny looking anyhow. But I looked over, he was tall. I looked over at Dan Schaefer, and he's like, hey, Ziggy, how are you? I'm like, he hit me. He's like, oh, yeah, Shambach, he's a mess. So you're still over there. He's trying to carry on a conversation with me. And he's walking me down off this big old platform in front of 3,000 people. And I'm just like, I'm just trying to recover. You know, I, I felt something, but it wasn't what I expected. But I didn't get three steps away from that altar before the fire of God hit me. And something changed in my ministry that day. And I've carried it ever since. Amen. Amen. Listen, there, 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 there are moments that you have to get a hold of. And tonight's going to be one of those. God brought him here for, for this. For us. For all of us. And tonight, whether you feel anything or not, you're leaving here changed. You, amen. Praise God. We'll leave it with that. Seven o'clock, receive an offering for these folks that have come to help us with music. We don't receive any offerings in these morning services. But you know what? We want to be a blessing to this team. I already intended. I'll tell you, the Lord, the Lord had already put on my heart. Annie was like, I, I feel like I'm supposed to sow this. I told her, we're, we're, we personally are sowing $1,000 to Chris in that ministry. Personally. Before they leave out of here. The church has already determined. Listen, I'm going to tell you something. The church has already determined we're going to bless them. We, we already decided what we were going to do. Uh, if we didn't do any more, we'd be sending them out of here with more than anyone's ever sent them out of any place with. But you know what? The Lord may be talking to you. And some of you may have heard it at some point in time. That may be why I'm having to do this. It's because some of you, you want to specifically be a blessing to them. And you want your seed to go into that ministry. That's what we're going to do here this morning. We're going to sow, we're going to sow into threshing floor. So I want you to, if, you're, if you want to sow by text to give, 77977, Winner's Church is the keyword. Uh, make sure you put that keyword in there, otherwise you end up at Brother Rodney's place. So uh, um, Winner's Church to 77977. If you're writing a check, just make your check out to Winner's Church. We will make sure that they receive all that comes in this offering. Brother Trokel, we'll be, we'll be sowing into him. Not only are we sowing into him what you sow in these offerings, but last time he came, we, we wanted to uh, pay for and be a part of sending them to do these uh, leadership training things. And we received an offering uh, for that. And uh, Brother Trokel was like, well, we don't really need it. We've already. I said, well, we'll hang on to it until we get the whole thing together. You know, and uh, <clears throat> yeah, he will need it now. So. Mm, yes, sir. So not only are they, they don't know this, not only are they going to get that, but we were able to raise a good, a good a portion of money uh, for, the, for leadership training for them. So they'll receive that offering as well. Amen. Which is, which is awesome. Uh, we want to be a part of this leadership training. So um, uh, 
Are y'all ready to sow? Amen. Father, thank you. Bless your people for their obedience, Lord. As they give, let it be given back to them, God. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, Lord. We thank you for the privilege.